everybody. How's our weekend going? Yeah, got any good plans? Come on, you guys can do better than that. I raised you better than that. Come on. All right. Hey, welcome to Portico Church. My name's Jason. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 6 today. We're finishing up a series called Sowing to Grow. We'll be in verses 9 through 10. So you can put your thumb there as we wrap this up. So hey, here's not some news, but some truth. This is my last scheduled sermon at Portico Church, right? So I'm happy. It's exciting. Um, Most of you, I think everybody knows that I'm transitioning to be the lead pastor at Portico Church in Charlottesville, and without going through all that drama again, right? Um, but yeah, it's, it's my last one. And, and in a couple days from now, March 1, will be my 10-year anniversary uh, wearing a Portico Church Arlington uniform. It's been great. It's been so good. Just kind of shocked me when I was thinking about this. And man, over that decade, I have seen so much... Um, I've seen lives healed, I've seen people get baptized, I've seen marriages healed, I've seen marriages fall apart, and still healing happen, like significant healing. I've seen skeptics become evangelists, um, I've seen a happy family, I've seen a happy family, and it's been amazing, it's been amazing. And I will tell you that uh, Christy and I, my bride, are very different people, than when we walked in here 10 years ago. Very different. Um, yeah, you, and here, you become our family, our true family. Yes, we have blood family, but you, like understanding that the gospel creates a family, that's, that's something that we learned over this decade that has been just beautiful and powerful in our lives. I mean, we have nothing but gratitude towards God and gratitude towards every single one of you. And, here, and here's a little fun fact. I have never got to, pre- to preach Galatians 6, 9 through 10, and it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Now, this was on the, the preaching schedule before um, any of this happened. And so it, it's just one more little grace that God has given us, given me, quite frankly, that I wanted to give you. So... Enough of that. We need to finish this, right? (laughs) Like, the Bibles are open. Let's do this. We've been talking about this fact that Galatians picks up on, is that whatever you sow into your life, you will grow. So the things that you're planting into your life right now, the thousand decisions that you make every single day are making you. You are growing those things into your life, good, bad, and different. Well, actually, Scripture would say good or bad. There's no indifferent and you will get a harvest in your life from what you plant in and through your life. So the two categories that Scripture gives us for sowing or planting into our life are flesh and spirit. So the flesh is this idea that left to our own devices, we will return to our base appetites, our desires, our thoughts, our feelings. We will want to define good on our terms without God. We're not necessarily It's okay that God's in the picture. He might have a vote, but I have got to maintain control. That's how your flesh works, and it's actually natural. 
you wake up every single day with your flesh saying, hey, what are we going to do? How's this day going to go? So that is your flesh. Scripture calls it, well, we call it sin nature. Scripture would call it the flesh. It's extremely powerful. It's extremely persuasive. So if we plant to that, Scripture says we reap corruption, which is death. It's dehumanizing. Separates you more from human flourishing and more from what it means to belong to God. The second thing we see in Scripture is sowing to the Spirit, which is what we talked about last week. It's actually harder than sowing to the flesh. It's unnatural. It's supernatural. It takes a rebirth so that your heart is actually reset and not even reset, just grows new through faith. It takes more than you can give. It takes a community around you to help you walk it out. It takes the spirit in you to give you the strength and the desire to do that. And sowing to the spirit is always violent internally. There's always a war going on. And we talked last week about the mechanics of doing that, where we have to deny the flesh what seems good and right and this appetite I want, right? Death first, we deny it. And then we have to believe God that what God would call us to do, that is a better good than the natural thing that I want to do. And then we have to do God's desire. We have to do it. And it, it actually builds a habit, it builds a character as we yield to the Spirit. So that's what we're talking about. And I guess as we jump into this very last part of Galatians chapter 9, which I love because it really wraps it up, I would just ask you to think through what do you want your life to be about? Not necessarily what do you want to do through your life, if you assume, because this is where this text goes, think, stop thinking about what you're planting into your life and start thinking about your life being planted. If your life is planted somewhere, what would grow out of it? What do you want your life to be about? What do you want to see in and through your life? How do you think you're going to be a vessel for God? Or is that even on the table? What do you want to see grow out of your life? a hard question. We don't think about it much, but this text will not leave us alone. So let's jump into it. It's going to be, again, Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. The Apostle Paul is getting to the end of his, his argument to this church in Asia Minor. Here we go. And let us not grow weary of doing good, For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. This seems so simple and beautiful and joyous. And yet somehow it doesn't take hold of our lives the way I know you want it to. We ask now as your people that you would illuminate your word by your Holy Spirit, that you would open up your word that we might behold the treasure that you have hidden in it so that it can work itself into our mind, our heart, our souls. 
and forever change us for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, the first thing that I would ask you to pull out of this text with me is what he gets to right off the bat. Don't give up. In fact, he says more than that. Don't be weary. Don't be weary and don't give up. What is giving up? It's losing heart. It's being discouraged to the point where I no longer have the motivation to even try anymore. I've tried to do this, but maybe this text isn't for me. Maybe it's for somebody else like me, but not me, because it seems to me that the things I try to sow into my life never actually quite get there. So I'm losing the motivation to try anymore. And the apostle, this should encourage you because he starts out with this. Hey, don't, don't grow weary. You're going to get a harvest if you don't give up. So understand, there's going to be a huge temptation for you and I to give up. And we're going to grow weary. Hey, giving up is epidemic. Great resignation, anyone? We've, we've come through a season that is exhausting. We're so busy managing other people's expectations and emotions, we don't even know how we feel anymore. A healthcare worker told me, that's called compassion fatigue. You manage other people's expectations and emotions so much, you have nothing left to feel. That's what life feels like right now for many of us. So the Apostle Paul is writing to a church in Asia Minor. It's a, it was in modern-day Turkey. Now, he was there. He preached. He, the gospel took root. A church was planted, but then he moved on to plant other churches. The problem is a division grew. And that division was around social and racial lines. Well, how did that happen? Well, has it ever happened? The gospel grew first in Jerusalem, which is primarily Jewish Christians who had been discipled by the Old Testament to expect the Messiah. Now, they thought it was going to be to overthrow the Roman government, but this Messiah came to save them from their sin and overthrow sin and death and just every other government that stands against him. So the church grows with Jewish Christians, and as it, as it moves out of Jerusalem, it also adds Gentiles to it. By the time he gets up to Asia Minor, there's a lot of Gentiles. So a Gentile is just a churchy word or a Christian word for somebody that's not Jewish by history or by heritage. So imagine this. You're in Asia Minor. This is a youngish church, and you've got people in this church who are both have a history of, of Judaism loving the Old Testament, trusting God. Jesus comes, they receive him with joy as the Messiah. And then you've got people who were involved in pagan worship practices, maybe worshiping Artemis or other gods of the region or the imperial gods of the Roman Empire. And they're in the same church. They're saved by grace. They're different racially. They're different ethnically. They're different socially. And what happened in this church is the Jewish Christians were holding Passover services. They were maintaining the dietary laws. Why wouldn't they? It just made sense. They were circumcising their male children, which was fine 
but it was not required. And they required the Gentiles to do the same. They said, hey, we've been doing this longer than you have. We'll tell you who Jesus is. He is the Savior. He is the Christ. But you need to adhere to Passover. You need to adhere to the dietary restrictions. You need to circumcise your kids on the eighth day. Because if you don't, you are not saved. Like, trust us on this one. And it caused a major division in the church. And they were exhausted. So that's why Paul writes this letter. Remember when we were talking about uh, what, the difference between what is core to the gospel and what is, what is culture? Same thing was happening. Man, nothing new under the sun. We think that all of our struggles are novel. They're not. So what Paul wanted them to know is this. The gospel that saved you is the gospel that will sustain you. Don't give up. There's a way through this conflict, friends. The gospel that you believed and received that made you a new creature in Christ is also the gospel that must sustain you. If that's not true in your life, it will be something like the gospel that I heard and received with joy I walk through that door, but then my faith dries up because I'm now mediating my relationship with God, not through what Christ has done, but through what I'm doing. And it's very natural. That's actually sowing to the flesh. And we start feeling that our relationship with God is measured in how we're obeying God. And that just sounds right, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound right to you? I mean, it sounds right to me, but if we understand the gospel truly, your obedience cannot save you. It never could. If it could, we don't need Jesus. He didn't come just an example. He came as a redeemer and a savior. So Jesus is the savior. Only he can save you, and it's an ongoing process. You only grow as you continue to trust and believe the gospel. This is why I do communion every week because I know we forget it. So the Apostle Paul is really serious about this, and in the earlier part of Galatians, when he's making his argument in chapter 3, verse 2, he says, let me ask you only this. His logic is fierce. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, dietary restrictions, keeping the festivals, Passover, circumcision. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did, did I give you the Holy Spirit because you were doing those things by keeping the law or by hearing through faith? Which one was it, Galatians? Oh, well, it was, it was, you know, faith. Okay. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Well, well, no, but they're not circumcising their kids. You're circumcised, right, Paul? Yes, I'm circumcised. But if you really believe that's your, that, that is the warrant for your status before God is righteous, then you're misunderstanding who Jesus is. No, forget about circumcision. Jesus himself was cut off for your unrighteousness. All of that pointed to him. All of those festivals and acts of faith were true and real, but they were the shadow. Jesus is the substance. That's what Paul wanted this church to know. Hey, friend, can you, be, can you imagine being rescued 
You've seen these on Discovery Channel? Kind of love like the, the crash things on Discovery because it's cool, right? And like a boat's out there like, hey, a schooner was on a three-day tour and then, you know, hurricane uh, so-and-so came out. And like, they, you know, it flips and everybody's in the water and this, these Coast Guard pilots come out in these small helicopters and they have rescue swimmers on them and they find the people out there and they dive into the water and they get them prepared and wrapped up and they take them into the helicopter, like revive them, get the water out of their lungs, and it's great. You, you're saved by that rescue swimmer. Connect that to Jesus telling Lazarus, who's been dead for a few days, come forth. That's how salvation works. You didn't figure out the gospel. You're not smart enough to do that. In fact, the smarter we are, the less we would even imagine that our, our relationship with God is based on somebody else's works, not mine. So these rescue swimmers save these people. Imagine if you, that was you, and it was your sailboat, and you got tied up in a storm, and you're in this, you're on the floor, the steel floor of this, this helicopter. You've been saved, you come to, and you're like, hey, dude, we just saved you. Like, yeah, I know, like my sailboat tipped over, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And then you dive back in the ocean and you start swimming for shore. That's what he's talking about. That's why you don't endure. That's why you're worn out. That's why you give up. Don't give up. The gospel that saves you sustains you. If you're highly irritated because people don't do good works the way you do, okay, Jesus turned over some tables. But I'm suspicious when you think, like, I don't know, if people just raise their kids like mine, or if people would see justice issues like I do, if people would just get it, then this world would be a better place. Well, that may be true, but I suspect you, somewhere deep in your heart and in your soul, you believe those things are putting you in a different status with God than other people. You really believe that? I've had those thoughts. It's, it's worse for pastors. We're the ones who really needed it to work this. So good works become a prison if you don't believe the gospel. Don't give up. You might ignore good works because you're afraid you'll never do them good enough. Well, of course you won't. That doesn't say to do that. Jesus did the works good enough. But get in on, get in on the game, okay? Or, or Here's a good one in our theological tribe. Well, we're saved by, by grace through faith, yes. Works don't save you. Well, no. Well, you know, God determines everything. I'm just going to sit back. How do you get to that conclusion? Your faith is not good enough to save you. You're not saved by your faith, friend. You're saved by grace, God's gift, and faith is the open hand that receives it. And there's no such thing as a living faith that doesn't have good works as a necessary outflow of it. You are saved by grace through faith, but that saving faith is never by itself. You're going to hear from the book of James, the epistle of James. Is it an epistle? I don't know what it is. I'm not preaching it. So, um, <laughs> not my problem, but... <laughs> Um, 
hey man, I'm dead inside now. Like I, I, I had to do this once, like at nine o'clock, so give me a break. Um, he makes the case, he's Jesus's brother, and he was the bishop of Jerusalem. He makes the case, hey, show me your faith without works, I'll show you my faith by my works. He's got some fire in him. But we, we, we think, maybe my motivation's not right. Well, of course it's not right. Well, then it's not a good work. Says who? If you, if you truly are saved by grace, and there's some level of gratitude in there, and you want other people to be served, you're on the right track. Get in on it. God can take what you got and disciple you through it. All right? Don't give up. Secondly, why, why should we not give up? There's, we, we talked about the gospel and understanding it truly, but Paul's already made that argument in the beginning of Galatians. We had to go back to it. But what does he say? He gives a, he gives a, a different warrant in a way. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So God is telling you the harvest is going to happen, and it doesn't depend on you. In due season, that's God's timing. If you, I know you're weary, hold on, don't let go, don't give up. If you do that, you're going to enjoy a harvest because God's bringing it. So he's just saying, man, don't, don't let go of this. I'm a child of the 80s. I was born before that, but I kind of came of age in the 80s, which was a good time to come of age because we had all the best coming of age movies, right? Breakfast Club, um, St. Elmo's Fire, 16 Candles. I mean, we just blow... You guys have nothing like that. So... <laughs> It's embarrassing how awful your coming-of-age movies are. I don't even, do you even have one? Lord of the Rings? Harry Potter? How, how does that help you come of age? That's, it's sad. And I love all those movies. But <laughs> we got to laugh some, don't we? They had this thing called a Chia Pet. Have you ever had a Chia Pet? All right. Nobody in the first service, they were just like, no. <laughs> Never heard of it. Uh, it's like a little terracotta figurine. And it, sometimes it looks like a little lamb. Some of them literally look like Pennywise or Bob Ross. Like, I don't know how they got that licensing, but they did. And what you do is you soak it, and then you take these chia seeds, and you smear them on top of it. And if you keep watering it for a week, it grows these sprouts, and it looks like hair. Right? And kids are like, yay! So what happens is we learn this the hard way as parents. We're buying these like at the drugstore, like as a little stocking stuffer or something fun. And they get it, and they do all of it, and your six-year-old does this, and then after the second day, he breaks on the floor because nothing has grown. Like, oh, man, it takes a week. This is the stupidest toy I've ever had. <laughs> now, we're much more able to control ourselves, aren't we, because we're adults. <laughs> God's like, no, I broke a Chia Pet, too. <laughs> It's the same thing, man. You quit watering the field because it's dry and the pain is real and you see nothing happening in your life and, and it goes on and on and on. I can't believe God's here because I see no fruit. I've been struggling with this since the time I've been born. I, 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 you know, just on and on and on. Apostle Paul's saying, he's bringing the harvest. It's his works, not yours. Hold on. Don't give up. The harvest will happen. 
He's the Lord of the harvest. Don't take my word for it. He's already said God is not mocked. You reap what you sow. Now, we take that as, oh, but it's also a blessing. You sow to the Spirit, you reap. You reap. In Mark chapter 10, uh, there's that famous passage, it's in other Gospels as well, where rich young ruler and the disciples are hearing this, and Jesus is trying to disciple this guy, and the guy actually asks them, well, what good thing do I need to do to be saved, which is ironic, but Jesus is like, give everything away to the poor. He's like, oh, but I keep, I keep the Ten Commandments, so isn't that going to work? When Jesus is saying, you can't do it, bud. I can do it. Trust me. But the disciples hear this going on, and Jesus is like, well, you know, it's harder for, the, for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter into heaven. And Peter says, well, who's going to ever get into heaven then? Jesus is like, well, nobody, except with God, all things are possible. And Peter says in Mark 10, verse 28, see, we've left everything and followed you. Which is true, the disciples did. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, the good news, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But just so we're clear, many of you who are first, let's live in large will be last in my kingdom. And the last will be first. Anything that you give up in this life out of gratitude, even if it's sideways gratitude, anything that you give up is a good work. Anything you give up in gratitude is not gone, it's planted. Do you see that? Every, anything you give up for the sake of the Lord. Well, that sounds very theological. It does sound theological, but Jesus makes it really simple. Anything you give up right now is planted, and you're not only going to receive a harvest in this life, but in my kingdom, look out. I'm all about blessing. Well, I mean, how am I going to get a house if I give mine up? I'm pretty sure somebody will house you. Well, I came to faith and I had to give up my family because my family was of a tradition that won't allow conversion to Christianity. Oh, well, then these are your brothers and sisters and your uncles and your crazy pappy and on and on and on. God brings the harvest. He brings the growth. In Mark chapter 4, he says as much, the kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. But he knows not how. That's because God's business is about bringing something from nothing. He brings the growth. You do the good. God brings the growth. And every single thing that you give him he will plant. And when he plants, he knows how to grow it. And I have seen things grow in this church. I've seen people that I wouldn't trust to take my car to the shop that are leading communities 
leading, shaping this community as mature senior leaders. God did that, but we had to do some planting. We had to hang tight. We had to not grow weary. God always brings the harvest. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So let's apply this. What is doing good? It's simply this, giving it away in gratitude. Well, giving what away in gratitude? Money? Sure. Time? Yeah. Well, what if I just give five minutes to help an old man cross the street? That's a good work. What if I'm running to my car because I have bowling lessons and my coworker's crying by their car and I hang out and talk with, is that a, yes. Well, what if I am really a good financial giver? Yes. What if I give up my reputation at work because I'm willing to say I go to church and when people say, well, are you one of those kind of Christians? Like, I, I don't know, I know Jesus, so maybe. And they, I think I got passed up for a promotion there. Yes. Anything that you decide to give up or give, and it should be in gratitude, right? Think less about my transformation and more about the one who's transforming you and how that happened, and it just becomes natural. Everything, every good work is something you're willing to give up or to give in gratitude to serve somebody else. Maybe it just makes them happy. Maybe they're locked in with COVID. And you're like, well, you know, I know they're going to be okay. They're vaccinated, all that. So, well, that's not very fun to be locked in. Maybe you take them dinner. Is that a, that's a good work. Maybe you house somebody because they don't have a place. Maybe you give somebody five bucks because they're destitute and you don't even know who they are. Maybe you help our refugee resettlement ministry that is helping four families to get settled in the United States of America because their country fell apart and they were in grave danger. We're doing that, and we don't really know what we're doing because it's, it's really, really hard, and the needs are much more than what we can do, but we're doing it right, I believe. And God would tell us, who better in this world to serve a resident alien than somebody who doesn't even belong in this world? Like, look at my Bible. I took my people out of Egypt. They were sojourners. They got it. And I told them to take care of the resident alien and the sojourner in their house. You don't even belong here, Christian. You don't. It doesn't feel right. You know that your heart's wrapped up somewhere else that you feel like you've been before, but you've never seen it. That's his kingdom coming, and it's here now, but it's not fulfilled all the way. And in this time, God uses us as worthy vessels to serve people. Side note, if you want to get in on that refugee resettlement, Sandy, right back there, Dr. Sandy Terrell in the blue mask, she's leading it. And if you don't, can't find her, grab a deacon or grab somebody. They'll get you to the right person. We have a lot of needs there. If we've been served by God like that, it becomes supernaturally natural to serve like that. Like, well, I feel that. Get in on it. Do good to everyone. 
everyone. Do it in gratitude. Well, what about this opportunity thing? Is that my opportunity? I guess it could be. Like, you can't save the world, friend. That's not your role. But I think in context, the opportunity is when you see the need. If you see the need, there's your opportunity. Well, I don't have time. Okay, then don't do it. That, like, that's fine. But, but why don't you have the time? Maybe God would have you take the time. This is not a guilt thing. This is a, this is a joy and glory thing. Yeah. And it says, this is weird, this seems very unchristian, and it's in the Bible. Family first. Especially to the household of faith. That doesn't exclude anyone. But that's because the church is not a society or an institution or an organization. The church is a family made up of lost orphans that Jesus finds and brings to himself all over this world. And the necessary relationship that we have is one of commitment. And Jesus said as much. He said, oh, people are going to understand the glory of the gospel. They're going to know me. In fact, they're going to know you belong to me by how you belong to one another. They'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. So yes, yes, yes. This love has to be real here before it can go out and really to the world. Because if it's not real here, then we don't understand grace the way we should. And then the way we're serving out in the world is really about us and not about the gospel. So yes, the household of faith. So let's land this. Do good. Give it away. Well, tell me what to do. I can't. Give away some time. We have a bunch of kids that need serving at 9 o'clock. Go there first and come to the 11 o'clock service. Give your time and your energy to somebody beside yourself. Give your money to something other than what you want. Christians should be the most generous people in the world. Um, give away your privacy. I'm not talking about online. Don't do that. <laughs> right? That's a great way to waste your time. But give away your private, like some of us are introverts, not me, but some of us are introverts and we're like, privacy is a big thing. It's great. Jesus like would retreat from the crowds, but he always had compassion for them. He always returned. Get rid of some of that free time and give it to somebody else. Bring somebody in. Give away your reputation. Like hold Christ up as holy. Give away your skill. Give away your gifts. Give away your pastor. Okay, Jules. Sorry. I already went through this once. Um, give away your pastor, and I mean that. Um, there's a lot of ways this could have gone, but there is a household of faith that needs help, and it's our sending church. And it's clear that I feel called, am called to do this. You guys have agreed, church has agreed to do that. But man, good works always have a cost, don't they? But this is, this is what God has for us right now. And I'm absolutely convinced 
that this church will reap a harvest out of this. And I'm hoping and praying that Charlottesville will as well. At the end of the day, what do you want to spend your life on? How do you want to plant it? What do you want to see grow out of it? Thank you for investing in me. I was not a pastor when I showed up 10 years ago. I was a retired pilot that knew a little bit about teaching. And you invested in me, and you were patient with me, and Christy and I, and you let us make mistakes, and you trusted us, and you waited for God to work in our lives, and you you stayed around. I don't know why. And God did some things in our church, didn't he? And God is opening, he's closing a chapter right now. He's finishing a chapter in the story of Portico, but he's turned the page and he's writing a new one. And it doesn't have me in it, and I'm okay with that. But God has made significant provision. We have a lead pastor candidate that is born out of this church, Pastor Nate Wagner. We have an executive pastor, Johnny Reeve, that's going to be able to lead in ways that are just going to help us flourish. Wait, is he still going to lead worship? Yes. He's weird. <laughs> but that's how God made him. So, like, give him the space to do that, right? Let him, like, flex a little bit. They work really well together. You're going to see some awesome things. They're going to bring some personalities and people on to staff that we've never had the opportunity to do. It's going to be crazy good. And God's given you a building. Do you think God is invested in your future? If you will humble yourselves and trust him, take a deep breath, keep walking forward together, he will change the world through you. I never wanted to plant my life up here. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Anything that God is going to ask of you is completely worth it. He's good. He is the good shepherd. He defined that by laying his life down for you. That's how love works. You can trust him. I trust him. I'm here to tell you that whatever field God plants you in is worth sticking in. He's going to grow you there. Don't give up. He's going to bring a harvest. So give it away. Lord, we thank you. It's hard, Lord, it's hard. You're no stranger to sorrow. You're no stranger to separation. But there's one reason we feel like this. You, Lord Jesus, you. This is on you. You have made us a happy family. And so we can, we can, we can pay the cost of separation because ultimately you keep us together. And your kingdom and your grace and your life that comes through faith, the gospel, the good news, is worth it. It's worth it. We'll take ground now and enjoy it in eternity. We're fine with that. But man, we ask for you to help us. We ask for you to bless us wildly. I ask for you to bless these leaders and these members and attenders wildly. Let them never doubt. Let them be able to see your hand at work. And I pray for my new church in Charlottesville that um, you do the same thing and that we would have a shared story where we could all look back together and say, well, that was crazy, but look what God did. 
would you do that, Lord? We don't deserve it, but we're going to boldly ask you for it because we're your kids. So lift all this up in the name of Jesus. Amen.